let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Anuja Vaidya, Senior Editor and Special Events Lead at mHealth Intelligence. Seniors may face a wide array of barriers to needed primary care, which can exacerbate adverse outcomes in the population, as access to primary care is linked to the early detection and treatment of diseases and comprehensive chronic disease management, among other benefits. In more recent years, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, healthcare organizations have relied on telehealth and remote patient monitoring to enhance access to care among seniors. As a result, virtual care use within this population exploded. A recent study revealed that during the pandemic, there was a 555% increase in the use of remote patient monitoring among Medicare beneficiaries. One organization leveraging virtual care alongside in-person at-home primary care for seniors is HEAL. Today, Dr. Justin Zaghi, Chief Medical Officer at HEAL, is joining us to discuss the organization's value-based primary care model for seniors, the use of telehealth and remote patient monitoring within this model, and how the organization has addressed challenges to virtual care. Justin, thank you for coming on to the Healthcare Strategies podcast today. Anuja, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share what we're doing with your audience. Fantastic. So let's jump in by sort of discussing the senior care landscape overall. What, in your opinion, are some of the most significant issues impacting senior care in the U.S. today? Well, one thing is clear, which is that the number of seniors in the U.S. is growing right? Part of that has been due to baby boomers and also increases in life expectancy as well, which is a good thing. And what that means is that whereas according to the latest census data, there's around 54 million older adults who are age 65 or greater, and that's only about 16 and a half percent of our total population. Within the next 30 years or so, by 2050, it's expected to be almost 86 million seniors. And that's expected to reflect 20% of the US population. So there's definitely a trend of more seniors, Mm -hmm. right? Another important trend is really that seniors in our experience are craving independence and they have a lot of autonomy in their decision-making around what they want for their healthcare choices. So they're very discriminating. They want good healthcare. They're also getting bombarded with messaging from health insurance companies, providers, health systems around catering to their needs. And currently there's there's quite a few options. And so we're finding that seniors are quite discriminating in terms of finding like a really good healthcare offering. And we're also finding that at least for many of the seniors that we're encountering, that they're trying to maintain their independence, right? So as seniors age, it's part of normal and healthy aging is that they start losing some of their functional status. It's not infrequent for seniors to fall or get hospitalized or for any adverse event to occur. And often what happens is that seniors may lose some level of their independence. And so HEAL is actually a really wonderful offering for patients because it allows them to be independent and to to be cared for at home as much as possible. It allows them to minimize being a burden on their family members and creating challenges for their family members in terms of getting access to care. So I'd say that's been a really important trend. 
And then third, COVID-19 has transformed virtual health adoption. So we've been doing virtual health for quite some time, at least since 2017, 2018, we've been doing some form of virtual care, remote patient monitoring. And what I would say is that prior to that time, very few seniors were willing to use virtual health. Mm -hmm. We would offer them telemedicine, we would offer them remote patient monitoring, but they weren't really excited about it. And what we found is that during the pandemic, the adoption of telemedicine expanded very significantly. The same seniors that didn't want to do telemedicine with me before the pandemic, during the pandemic, were demanding it. They said, Dr. Zaghi, I don't want you to come to my house because I'm afraid I might get sick. I want you to do a telehealth visit for me. COVID-19 has unfortunately had a lot of damage in terms of lost lives, lost productivity, and tremendous harm caused by the virus. But one of the good things in my view that, that arose from it has been increased adoption of telemedicine because now we've experienced it. We've seen that we can get exceptional care from it. And so folks are way more open to using it. And it's, it's actually a core component of the care that we deliver. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of really interesting, pertinent trends that we'll kind of discuss, you know, during our conversation. But before we jump into the virtual care angle, I just want to talk a little bit about HEAL. Could you provide some background on the practice and also sort of describe the care model? Absolutely. So you can think of HEAL as primary care in your home, and we cater to seniors. So patients who have Medicare or Medicare Advantage, and we accept most Medicare Advantage plans are eligible for our services. And instead of seniors needing to go to a typical primary care doctor's office, we bring the primary care experience to you in your home environment. And we do it both through house calls. So you get house calls from nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and physicians. In addition to that home-based component, we also do provide virtual care, including through telemedicine and remote patient monitoring. So that's how we deliver care. Our clinicians come with a suitcase full of equipment, including you know, a blood pressure cuff, glucometers, pulse oximeters, you name it. They basically bring the doctor's office to you. And we provide what I like to call expanded primary care because it's, it's not just the typical primary care you get from a private practice physician. It's primary care, what I would call on steroids, because you're getting care from a full team. You're getting care from a nurse practitioner. You're getting care from a physician. We have care coordinators that are part of our model. And really our premise is simple. Our premise is that house calls both improve access and they improve outcomes. And the reality is that by being in the home environment, we're able to help improve outcomes by making interventions that will reduce ER visits, reduce hospitalizations, and also lead to seniors being healthier and feeling more well and enjoying greater health. Absolutely. So this also sounds to me like sort of the goal is expanding that value-based care to seniors in the home. So how do you think this model really kind of helps achieve value-based care? And why is that so important for this population? Why does the traditional fee-for-service model not work for this population? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the reality of delivering house calls is that house calls are more expensive. It costs more per visit than delivering a care in a typical doctor's office. 
In a typical doctor's office, you can see 20, sometimes 30. In some cases, I've seen up to 40 patients in a given day. When you're doing house calls, it's way less efficient because the doctor is going from home to home and that takes time. So at best, you can do maybe eight to 10 visits in a given day. So, so you've really reduced the efficiency of using that doctor's time, right? So they're intrinsically more expensive to do, but they also deliver way more value. They create way more value because in many cases, sending the doctor to a patient's home can actually result in much better healthcare outcomes. So sending a doctor to a patient's home can help reduce ER visits. It can reduce hospitalizations. It can lead to observations that will prevent the patient from having their health worsen, right? We call those observations social determinants of health. And social determinants of health are the conditions in which our patients live day to day, right? By being in the home environment, we're able to see where they're living. We're able to see the medications they're taking. We're able to see that they have an increased fall risk. We're able to see what kind of support they have from their family. And as a result of that, we're able to achieve improved healthcare outcomes. So the whole notion of value-based care is that we are able to capture more of the value that we're creating, right? And the best example I can give to you from, from our recent history is that we've been participating in New York in a demonstration program with Medicare called Independence at Home. And in this program, in one year, we saved Medicare about $8.7 million on a patient panel of about 1,000 patients, right? And so we saved Medicare on average $10,000 per patient in one year because of the nature of our primary care model that delivers care at home and is you know, what I'm calling primary care on steroids in the home environment. The nature of providing regular visits at home with telemedicine was able to significantly reduce hospital, hospital use, um, readmissions, admissions, and as a result, improve healthcare outcomes and save money for the insurance companies. And the money that we're saving for the insurance companies, we share in those savings, right? That's, that's how the value-based care model works. And so those shared savings help finance the more expensive model of care. And I think what this really emphasizes is the need to invest more in primary care generally. So there was an interesting study that showed that for every dollar that you invest in primary care, that you save $13 downstream. And there's no better example of that than our model of care. And that by investing in a more expensive primary care, we're able to save the insurance company's money, we're able to help improve healthcare outcomes. And the value-based care is really critical because those savings that we're achieving for the health insurance companies, we get to take a part of those savings and that finances this interesting model of care. Absolutely. You spend maybe a little bit more upfront, it sounds like, but then the downstream impact sort of pays for, its, pays for itself down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, it goes through that value-based care aim, which is fantastic. So, you know, coming to sort of the virtual care side of your model, what role does telehealth remote patient monitoring play in this value-based care model and how does it sort of help bolster that value that you're able to provide? So first, I would say that virtual care at its best, is a good adjunct to face-to-face -face care. I'm a firm believer that there's no replacement for actually seeing a patient, laying hands on them, examining them, and so on. That being said, virtual health can play a really critical role 
in extending the care that we provide, right? So what that means is that if a patient needs to see us urgently, we can easily accomplish a telemedicine visit likely within the next couple hours, if not sooner. And so that can help prevent the patient from needing to go to the ER and needing to go to the hospital, right? And it can increase access that the patient has to their primary care provider. So it provides a really critical role in terms of extending access. Then you think about remote patient monitoring too. So with the remote patient monitoring, with this program, we call it Pulse Plus. And what we do is we give the patient Based on medical necessity, we give them a tablet that also connects to a Bluetooth-enabled device. It could be a blood pressure cuff, glucometer if they're diabetic, a scale if they're trying to lose weight or if they have heart failure, or a pulse oximeter if they have COPD. And what we find is that by providing them with these devices, we're able to, again, improve our patients' healthcare outcomes. And the effect can be quite powerful. In terms of blood pressure improvements, we've seen significant improvements in our patients' blood pressures by giving them the cuff and by enrolling them in this program. Personally, I've seen this program be very useful for my patients who are trying to lose weight too. If I give them the scale and they know I'm looking at the measurements, they think twice before having that donut or before having the pizza or eating whatever they were planning to eat. And what I find is that we're able to achieve really significant improvements in weight. And the third example that we have some good proof of concept in is really around heart failure. So heart failure is actually one of the leading causes of hospitalizations and readmissions in the United States of America. And what we found is that by providing the patient with a scale and a blood pressure cuff, we're able to monitor the patient's weights and blood pressures. Say it's 4th of July weekend and they had some hamburger and hot dogs. They had too much salt. Too much salt can be a cause of their heart failure worsening. And we're able to detect that earlier on by providing them with that scale and the blood pressure cuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we have examples of patients who used to go to the ER and hospital once a month because of uncontrolled heart failure. And now we're able to to detect it sooner because we're extending care into the home and extending care earlier, Mm -hmm. right? And so those same patients that used to visit the hospital on a monthly basis haven't visited it in over a year. And that's something we're really proud of. That's fantastic. Yeah, it really kind of goes to creating that overarching longitudinal care that where you have that connection with the patients during clinic visits, in between clinic visits, and really kind of keeping that eye on early detection, all of the things, chronic disease management, everything that primary care kind of aims to do ultimately. Great. But, you know, on on the flip side, I'm sure there have been some challenges of integrating virtual care modalities into senior care. So can you describe some of these challenges that you face and maybe how you've gone about addressing them? Yeah, I would call these growing pains. As you alluded to, there's been a large growth in virtual health modalities, both telemedicine as well as remote patient monitoring. Very significant expansion. And really, these are just growing pains, but they're mostly technical in nature, right? They're getting the right platform for providers to use. I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, providers were scurrying to find some telehealth platform to use. There wasn't much of a precedent before. Same with the technology and software for remote patient monitoring. I'm really grateful that at Heal, we have a really fantastic technology team that's built exceptional tools for us. And I think that as a whole, the industry has improved where there's really good tools, right? That being said, sometimes there's challenges with connecting with patients. So many of our patients are able to use our telehealth solutions. Other times they do struggle with it, with connecting to the video. There's some level of tech savviness that's required to set up that telehealth encounter. 
And in those cases, we find it's really helpful to engage family members. So we find that many of our seniors are very comfortable. They have smartphones. They're able to set up their smartphone to do this telehealth encounter. And in the cases where it's more challenging, in most cases, they do have a loved one. They have a child, they have a neighbor, and with some help can do it. You know, another thing we're contemplating is actually in some cases sending out some of our staff to the patient's home where if they don't have the support to set up the telehealth, we can send a medical assistant or a driver or a licensed vocational nurse to go to the patient's home and set up the telehealth for them. So that's how we're combating that challenge. Absolutely. And so you have kind of the patient support, setting up patient education piece of it. But what are you seeing on engagement? Do you find that seniors are generally very engaged with these devices, kind of logging the things they need to be logging, checking in with their care teams? Like, has that been an issue at all? So the good news with our solutions is that they don't require someone to be particularly tech savvy. So the way we set it up is that they plug in the tablet, right? They literally connect it to an outlet. And then they have a blood pressure cuff that looks and feels just like any ordinary blood pressure cuff. Mm -hmm. It just happens that that blood pressure cuff has Bluetooth and it's connected to the tablet. It's already set up. So they just use the device as normal and it's very easy and seamless to use. I think that that certainly helps. I do think that broadly, there is a misconception out that seniors don't like technology, Mm -hmm. right? I'm often asked, hey, you're a cool technology-enabled healthcare company that's innovating, and you're introducing all these technology offerings to seniors, and seniors, they don't use technology, they're old school. And I think that there's a misconception, because I don't think that's true. I think that many seniors are very Mm tech-savvy, and I think that there's a tendency to underestimate how tech-savvy seniors are, right? Mm -hmm. So we've done some research, and... Generally speaking, in the 60 to 69 age window, about 81% of those older adults do have smartphones. And if you're looking at patients 70 and above, it's 62% of those folks have smartphones, which is more than most people give seniors credit for, right? And then as far as texting, many seniors do text, right? I would say that a majority of our patients do text. And there's some interesting studies showing that now one out of three Americans over age 65 actually prefer texting to phone calls, right? So there's increased adoption of using their smartphones or using their cell phones to engage with their care team. And I continue to see patients personally. And what I find when I'm delivering care is that if my patient themselves, if they don't have a smartphone, or if they can't text, their family members sure do. And so then it becomes a matter of engaging their family members in the care. And so it's really important in those cases to engage family members. But I would say generally our software is easy enough for most seniors to use in the cases where they need help, we're able to engage caregivers to make it seamless and easy. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Bring up a very pertinent point of we have these assumptions about certain age groups and what they may or may not be comfortable with. But a lot of times they are just assumptions. And after going through something like the pandemic, where this virtual world became more a part of our lives in all sorts of ways for communication, for work, for everything. So we are more comfortable online than we perhaps ever have been. So that's that's a really great point. 
Well, we're coming up to the end of our time here, but I do want to ask you one more question before we end our discussion. We really should discuss health equity issues, which may hold seniors back from receiving value-based care. So what are some key social determinants of health for this population and how can they be addressed to really ensure the delivery of value-based care? Yeah, so you're alluding to something really important, which are social determinants of health. These are the the conditions in which we live, in which we play, in which we work on a day-to-day basis. And studies show that up to 80% of our healthcare outcomes are influenced by these social determinants of health. I think our model of care, of delivering home-based primary care is really important because we're able to not only improve access, which is really critical, we're also able to observe these social determinants of health and make better interventions, right? The best example I can give is around healthcare literacy and really around medications, right? And just to give a story to paint the picture, we have a patient who has COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. That's a condition in which patients have trouble breathing. Sometimes they need to get hospitalized and, you know, can really suffer from that. So our patient, before we saw them, was visiting the hospital regularly because their COPD was poorly controlled. They saw specialist after specialist after specialist to try to manage their condition. We sent our nurse practitioner to the patient's home. And the nurse practitioner asked the patient to show them where their inhaler was. And the patient brought the inhaler. Then the nurse practitioner asked the patient to show them how they were using the inhaler. And the patient took the inhaler, put it on her lips, and never depressed the plunger. So all these years, the patient saw specialist after specialist, but failed to actually press down on the plunger to get the medication in the inhaler into her system. And so one simple intervention of our provider making that observation and helping to educate the patient really made a difference for them, right? And I'm proud that our providers, we call them healers. Our healers every day are out in the field serving seniors and helping to make these observations and helping to improve their healthcare outcomes so that we can expand the great care that we're delivering. And that's just one example that I've heard, but we get stories like this all the time about making interventions about medications, making interventions to prevent progression of diabetes, making interventions to get patients resources when their loved ones aren't around to support them. And so we're really on a mission to help improve healthcare all across the United States. Currently, we're in, we're in eight states and planning to expand and looking forward to serving more patients and having even more providers join our forces to, to help improve healthcare across America for seniors. Fantastic. Well, that sounds great, Justin. With that, we have come to the end of our time here, but I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today and sharing your thoughts on this very important subject. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Anuja. I appreciate it. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to share your thoughts on this topic. My email address is avedya at techtarget.com. That's A-V-A-I-D-Y-A at techtarget.com. You can also use that email address to share any healthcare-related questions or stories that you would like us to consider covering. Also, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please do let us know. You can rate us and write a review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production. 